All right, well, good morning. My name's Richard, and uh, likewise, I'm the other half of Jackie, and uh, also just been traveling a little bit, and so if you have uh, recently connected into Anthem over the last month or so, you wouldn't have seen my face too much, uh, but believe it or not, I am one of the pastors here. I've really been looking forward to being home. I think sometimes you get homesick, and uh, we certainly got that, uh, having been in Australia, been in Joburg, been in Cape Town, and uh, it's just good to be home. So thank you for being here. It's, uh, thank you very much, Rob. It, it really is good. There's, there's nothing like family. There's, like, there's the distant family of God, and then there's the intimate family of God, and you guys are the real deal, and uh, I just want to thank you for who you are to my family. We really, really did miss you. Uh, okay, so we're in the last message of our Grow series. Have you guys found Grow helpful? Hey, we found it helpful. I think it's been helpful. I've loved listening to, uh, to John and Paul uh, as they've preached in this series. Uh, it's, uh, it really has been good. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been really deeply hurt by somebody? Have you ever been really deeply hurt by somebody? Just allowing you to uh, allow the emotions to come to the surface. I'd ask you this, what emotions are you feeling even now? What emotions are you feeling? For some of you, there may be anger. For some of you, you may feel sorry for the person. For some of you, there may be frustration. There's a saying that says, time heals all things. I want to tell you, time doesn't heal all things. What time does is it accentuates what you feel. And without intentionality, all time does is make your original thought bigger. Today, we're going to be looking at the topic that we've entitled it, You're Free to Go. You're free to go. And in this, as we look at this, and I, I'm deliberately holding the, what the, the real essence of the message is, is uh, I, I want to say this. We, we are a people who believe in leading others to life. We want to take hold of life more fully. We believe that Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full, and yet many of us, even as I kicked off this series, or I, I think I preached the second message, we would own up to the fact that we're not living life fully. We all feel like there's some deficit in some corner or some area of our lives. If this is fullness of life as Jesus intended it to be, then shucks, heaven could be tough. And this whole series has been designed that we would be able to identify certain things in our life. We'd be able to allow the Scriptures to inform us, to renew our minds, to shape us, that we can take steps forward into more fullness. I don't know if you've ever asked this, yourself this question. Why did the disciples that we read about in the Scriptures, why did they seem to have so much more effectiveness in their ministry than many of us have? Like, I, I read the Scriptures, and I do get that it's a condensed version. If, if we were to summarize our own lives and only pick out the high moments, it might look something like what we see in the Scriptures. I get that. But for the most part, we, we look upon this, and we kind of go, geez, I don't know that I've quite got the faith 
that, they, that these early disciples had. I don't quite know that I would have gone out with my handkerchief and trusted for guys to be healed. I don't know quite that I would have gone out and laid my hands and lame men walk, that I trust that, that I truly believe it. Why, why am I less effective than what I read about in the Scriptures? I trust that today as we go through the Word of God, we will be able to learn from people that have gone before us as they start to allow us to rethink certain things. See, because here's the reality. When we have been deeply hurt, emotions do rise to the surface, and it's very difficult for us to behave not out of the emotion that has arisen. We tend to be driven by the emotion that comes attached to that hurt, certainly towards the person that's caused it, if not to our broader circle. I want to read a scripture. We're in John chapter 6. It's going to be our base text. This is found in 60 to 69. I am clipping out a few sentences, uh, which I don't believe changes the essence of the text, but just to highlight certain things. So John chapter 6, from verse 60, I'm reading out of the, the Passion Translation. When many of Jesus' followers heard these things, it caused a stir. That's disgusting, they said. How could anybody accept it? Without anyone telling him, Jesus knew they were outraged and told them, Are you offended over my teaching? What will you do when you see the Son of Man ascending into the realm from where he came? The Holy Spirit is the one who gives life. That which is of the natural realm is of no help. The words I speak to you are spirit and life, but there are still some of you who won't believe. Jump down to verse 66. And so from that time on, many of the disciples turned their backs on Jesus and refused to be associated with him. So Jesus said to, the t to his 12, and you? Do you also want to leave? Peter spoke up and said, Lord, where would we go? No one but you gives us the revelation of eternal life. We're fully convinced that you are the anointed one, the son of the living God, and we believe in you. What caused this whole little scene to take place was Jesus had just said, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat of my body, you cannot have eternal life. Unless, he went on to even something more gross, unless you drink of my blood, you can have no part of an eternal reality. And that's why these guys said, that is disgusting. How can we accept it? We are offended with you at the very thought of that. Today, I want to help us dealing with offense because I think it's something that holds so many of us back from living life more fully and taking hold of what Jesus has for us. Because the reality is the world is full of behaviors, patterns, cultures that can cause offense to our souls. Do we have the tools to be able to handle that, process that, and keep moving on in Jesus? So that's where we're going to be closing out our series today. Three things that we're going to be looking at is, uh, firstly, we see that Jesus asks them, are you offended over my teaching? The disciples took offense. There were some, because it says the disciples. 
without telling anyone, they, the disciples, were outraged, uh, and many disciples turned their backs on Jesus. And so this is not about they being those that aren't following Jesus. This is about those that are following Jesus, being offended by what He has to say. Maybe we're sitting here today, and we're offended about what Jesus has to say, about sexuality, about financial stewardship, about divorce. Maybe we sit here and we don't like what he has to say and we say, that's outrageous, Jesus. Do you not understand the times? And without even being able to identify it, we have a little sting inside of us that's starting to form. Jesus says to his disciples, his, 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 he turns to his 12 as uh, other disciples are leaving. And he says, do you also want to go? And hence the title, you're free to go. Jesus doesn't chase after them. Jesus doesn't chase after them. He just says, do you also want to go? And then there is the response of Peter. We're fully convinced that you're the son of God and hold the words of eternal life. And so we're going to be looking at offense, we're going to be looking at being free to go, and we're going to be looking at fully convinced. And that's our little journey through today. And I'm hoping that I can shift each of you. If you are offended, that I can shift you into the we're free to go category. If you're in the we're free to go category, I can shift you to fully convinced. And if you're fully convinced, I can shift you to even greater work in the Spirit of God. Is that all right? So this is where we're going to go. Let's look at offense. I, I think there are a couple of things that come through offense, and I, 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 I kind of put it down to maybe three categories of offense. There's the category where somebody has offended me, and they know, or, or they've hurt me, and they know they've hurt me. And we would go, you offend me. What happens in that case? Then there's the case where I've hurt you. I've hurt you. What is my responsibility in that? And then there's the third case of, what if the person is blissfully unaware that they've hurt you? How do you respond in that manner? Because I am convinced that every one of our offenses will fit into one of those three categories. And what we always try to do is we try to blame, we try to do the shift game and the blame game. Oh, you don't understand. You don't understand. You're not in my situation. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know. Da, 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 and we try and shift it from one block to another block to another block. So I'm just going to cover all three because they all land in exactly the same place. So this is us going today. So what if someone has offended me? What do I, what do I, how do I get to respond? How do I get to carry that offense? How do I get to hold it? We've heard of the saying, holding an offense. How do I get to hold it? How do we get to do all of these things? Proverbs 19 verse 11 says this. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Okay, well, that's easy. Solomon, wisest guy in the world, you just, it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. You have no idea the hurt that that person caused me. How do you just overlook an offense? How do you just overlook? We're going we're gonna to get there. We're going to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture today. But I want to tell you a story because I think sometimes it just brings it closer to home. When Jax and I had a couple-month-old baby, Jed, and uh, Kiara was maybe two years old, uh, and we had just adopted Jada into the family, some men broke into our home. And uh, 
by the grace of God, I managed to catch them in the passageway, so there was only room for one at a time, and I had a sleeping baby, I had, I had sleeping kids in different rooms, and Jack's had a choice to make as to which room she was going to go in, hoping that one of the babies wouldn't wake up, and she ran into the girls' room because they were awake. Jed, she left this, this little few weeks old baby in a cot, defenseless. And these men came at me, they caught me in the passage, uh, tried to hit me with a crowbar, and managed to, glance, managed to glance it off. And by the grace of God, that whole thing diffused. And they ended up running out. But we had a decision to make after that. Because these men had intruded into our space. They had left us feeling exceptionally vulnerable. A little baby, a decision that no mom ever wants to make. A husband having to make a decision as to, am I going to fight? Am I going to flee? What's the best case in this scenario? Potentially risk losing my life and leaving my wife as a single mom. How do we handle these things? We could have left the, the guys that broke in were a different ethnicity to us. It could have driven in racism. We could have been angry at our present government. We could have been angry at our past government for creating environments like this. We could have been frustrated. We could have been overcome by fear. We could have, we could have, we could have. And many of you have found yourself in that story, in a like story. We could have been tempted to flee the country. We had the financial resource to flee the country. We could have, as a hurt could have taken root. And we had a decision to make. What were we going to do? Someone had offended us. Someone had hurt us. And we had to respond. How do I overlook an offense? Matthew chapter 18, 15 says this. If your fellow believer sins against you, you must go to that one privately and attempt to resolve the matter. If he responds, your relationship is restored. I want to speak this as a pastor to you as my friends. So often what we see is offense grown and stimulated because you don't go to speak to the person involved. And what tends to happen is because you don't deal with it there and, and being able to resolve that relationally, this thing grows. And it grows and it grows and it grows and it becomes too much of a burden for you to carry. See, the scriptures are very clear in how to handle offense. If it is a fellow believer, go to that person, not to your life group, not to your pastor, to that person, to deal with it. Some of us aren't walking in the fullness of life because we're not following in Jesus' way. Jesus has a way to deal with things. And when we follow that way, we suddenly find ourselves walking in freedom and a more fuller life. If he responds, your relationship is restored. I love the fact that the scriptures aren't just saying, okay, well, he will respond. He opens up the door if he responds. Well, what if he doesn't respond? Then what? Because sometimes we want to preempt that and we go, oh, we know. There's no point in even talking to the person because I know they're not going to respond. Please don't say people's no for them. Don't deny the Spirit of God at work in a fellow believer. Don't deny what he can do. Is that okay? But what if he doesn't respond? Colossians 3 13 then informs us. 
of our way forward. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends. You remember the Lord forgave you, and so you must forgive others. See, what Jesus does here, or through Paul as he writes to the church, is he just says, actually, guys, do I need to remind you that you yourself committed the highest offense against God, our Creator? And let me just remind you that we are all in need of being forgiven. And we cannot hold people to a higher standard than what God holds us. And if God can forgive us, then actually we need to forgive each other our faults. And so the landing point for when we've been hurt is this. We have to find it in ourselves to forgive people. And the baseline of that is understanding our salvation. If we cannot understand our salvation, we will live holding on to offense. We have to understand that we have been forgiven and that we are broken people. We have to allow that to get into, into us. I, I've been watching a little bit of the CrossFit Games. It's, uh, it's basically it's advertised as the fittest people on earth. Uh, they are ridiculous. If you are insecure about your body, do not watch it uh, because it's like all these perfect people running around doing very strong endurance, sprint, everything. But uh, one of the events that I found fascinating, uh, particularly in light of what I'm preaching now, is that one of the events is they start with a rucksack on their back, and they do a lap with a weight on them. And then the next lap, they have to add a weight. And then they do another lap, and they have to add another weight. And then they do another lap, and they have to add another weight. And it's quite funny watching them, because they all start off, these are prime, prime athletes, and they actually run really well with the first weight in their back. Then another weight comes, and you start to see, and like their legs don't quite get off the ground. Then another weight gets added, and they start running awkwardly. Then another weight gets added, and if you came in at that point in watching the event, you would think, what am I watching? These guys, are these guys athletes? Because they literally like... And then they stop all while they're carrying this weight. You know the saying, holding an offense. I'm holding an offense. Who's doing the holding? Who's doing the holding? We are. If I'm holding an offense, which means it's in my hands to deal with it. It's not in the other person's hands. And what tends to happen is, uh, John says something in passing. Oh, a little offense. First rock. I, I can still kind of run with the pack. Paul says something. Oh, another little rock. Okay, this is getting a little heavy. My wife says something. Oh, this is, I start really looking awkward. My kid says something. My back gets heavier and heavier, and I start, if someone were looking at me from the outside, I'd look like a, I'd just look very uncomfortable and like I don't know what I'm doing. Here's the issue. To them in their minds as athletes, they convince their athletes and that they're just doing the job. To us watching them, we can all see the weight that they're carrying on their shoulders and how it's affected their walk. Friends, we have to understand the gospel, which says that we have been set free, that we are not held captive or bound to unforgiveness by our God. And as He's done that, so it is our responsibility to forgive 
When somebody has offended us, go to them. You win a friend. If they do not respond, you forgive them their faults. You overlook their faults. What do we do if I've offended somebody? And often we would ask the question, how could you be angry with me? I said I'm sorry. You know that we've got two different standards? Like when I say I'm sorry to you, I expect you to forgive me. When you say sorry to me, like that's never enough. We've got two standards. It's just good to own up to these things. But when we have offended somebody, Matthew chapter 5, 23 to 24, Matthew chapter 5, 23 to 24 says this. So then, we're able to find, so then, if you are presenting a gift before the altar in the temple and suddenly you remember a quarrel you have with a fellow believer, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go at once to apologize with the one who is offended. Then, after you have reconciled, come to the altar and present your gift. God is very clear, friends. When we know we've offended somebody, it is incumbent upon you to go and apologize. It's just a God pattern. And if we want to walk in the fullness of life, taking a rock out of our bag, taking all of those things, then this is what we need to do. Go and say sorry. And we know that the enemy sits on that and our pride and tries to kind of say, you don't need to say sorry. It wasn't that bad. They've picked up an offense unnecessarily. If you've hurt somebody, whether they misunderstood you or not, go and sort it out. Go and sort it out. We live with these burdens. And then just in terms of offense, what if the people don't know that they've offended you? What if people don't know that they've hurt you. Luke chapter 23, 34 would be our guiding text. And uh, Jesus says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oftentimes, uh, I've kind of said, Jesus, uh, that's really amazing of you. It doesn't let me off the hook. Uh, what would have been better is if you were on the cross and you'd stopped all of creation for a bit and just told them what they did wrong so that they could understand and they could say sorry then maybe everything would be better and I wouldn't have to fall into the same category. Because don't we love to tell people that they've hurt us? We love to tell people, you've hurt me. You need to say sorry. I love Jackson and I were just talking through this and she said something so beautiful this morning. If there is no relational breakdown as far as the other person is aware, i.e. they are unaware that they've hurt you, if there is no relational breakdown as far as the other person is aware, then fix it in your heart. If the breakdown is only in your heart, fix it there. Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We do not have to go out of our way telling people, do you know what John did? Do you know what John did? Do you know what John did? John, do you know what you did? Can you live with the weight of, you need to live with the weight because it's a burden in my back. And I want to take it off my back and I want to put it on your back. Jesus doesn't give us that way, friends. And we live with offense. And so to tie it back into our original text, Jesus says, I say these words and you're offended. You're leaving. You're free to go. I'm not chasing you. But are you fully convinced that Jesus carries the words of life? Because if we are fully convinced, 
then we follow and we allow the scriptures to renew our minds and inform our behavior. Just secondly, uh, we see that these disciples start to leave, and Jesus doesn't chase after them. I do find it um, sad upon occasion when, when people get offended with the church, with some of you, with me, whatever, and they, they run away, and then they get more offended because we didn't chase after them. It's like, no, no, you're holding the offense. You can let it go. We're a group of people that actually stay united together because we've each become fully convinced of who Jesus is and that this family is good for us. And as family, yes, we're going to rub tensely from time to time. That's part of maturing as, as iron sharpens iron, so the Scriptures talk about. But actually, we're fully convinced that we are better here. And so I want to encourage you, you, you are free to go. You're free to go. But the beautiful life is when we're fully convinced and we choose to stay. I do believe that the church is largely ineffective today because it has believers who are offended with Jesus' teachings. We are offended with external circumstances. We are offended with each other. And instead of dealing with offense, we'd rather pretend Sunday after Sunday, sitting here saying, this is my church, I'm not going, you go. Instead of being a people who, under the Spirit of God, within the Spirit of God, are able to walk in a manner of letting go of offense and forgiveness in order that we may choose collectively to come together, celebrating one another's gifts, celebrating one another's differences of perspective in order to fully take hold. I learned a very valuable lesson from my professor uh, a few years back when I was studying, and he said this, Richard, there is the tyranny of the perfect answer. The tyranny of the perfect answer. He says, there is no perfect answer. And what, what tyranny means is like you come under the grip of it. It becomes, it's all controlling. And so the tyranny of the perfect answer is, is if I feel that I'm living right, what that, necessit, what that necessitates is anybody that's not living the same way as me is living wrong. Friends, may I say there's only one person who lived right, and that is Jesus. Therefore, we follow him. And we all, if we put our gaze and we all follow him, then we're able to say, okay, well, we're living in the direction of rightness or of righteousness. But when we have the tyranny of the perfect answer that my life is right, she's, you are gearing yourself up to walk around with a fence. Because actually we each have a different lens on life by the grace of God so that we may be better and more fully alive together. Lastly, just are we fully convinced? Are we fully convinced? Peter's response when Jesus says, you're free to go. And he says, where would we go? We are fully convinced that you are the Son of God, the Anointed One, that you carry the words of life. Fully convinced. I love those words. I chose this translation because uh, in other translations it says believe, which means that. But I feel like sometimes we, we lose the essence of what believe means. We throw it around too easily. And so we are fully convinced in Jesus. Romans chapter 4, 20 to 21, it's talking about Abraham. 
and uh, Abraham had been given a promise about a child, his child. And it says this in verse 20, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced. It is necessary for us to keep developing our faith, friends, because faith is responsible for taking possession of what grace has made available. Faith is responsible for taking possession of what grace has made available. Grace by itself produces a passive Christian. Faith by itself produces a legalistic Christian. But we begin seeing mighty things when we put the two together. What does being fully convinced look like? What does fully convinced look like? Is Patrick and Veronica here? They're going to come to the 10 o'clock service, I think. I think are in their 70s. Patrick and Veronica, Wednesday night, tell me, Rich, we are fully convinced of what God is doing. And for decades, they have lived in Morningside. They are selling their property in Morningside and have bought a property closer to Cornubia in their 70s. Fully convinced of what God is doing amongst us. That's what fully convinced looks like. It looks like Aubrey and Ellie, for decades, driving from Glenwood, the other side of the river, where we need passports to invest in this community. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, fully convinced that it is better to be in a community that loves God. Fully convinced. It looks like me dancing on the stage with Jackie many, many years ago. There's an advantage to being part of a group of people for longevity because you get to laugh at things that happened many, many years ago. So I'm not going to uh, repeat it and I'm not going to show the video. No, no, no. I know what's going to happen. These guys between this service and next service are going to put the video on and just play it behind me. I'm okay up to that. I'm okay. But there was a moment where I got asked to, ja to dance with Jackie in a play because the producer of the play felt at that moment that would be the best way we could display the kingdom of God and bring Him glory. It took me some convincing. I became fully convinced and I did it even though that has caused me ridicule and pain and hurt. That's why this message is so deeply ingrained in me. I wanted to end on a light note. It's been quite a heavy message. Would we be fully convinced of Jesus even when it may also land us? being on the outside and ridiculed? Would we grow in our faith? Would we grow in our faith as we take hold of the grace of Jesus Christ in order that we may live free of offense? Offense, you're free to go. Ladies and gentlemen, you are free to go. 
But may I urge you to live your life fully convinced in Jesus Christ, His ways, and His family, that we may be effective and see similar things to what we read in the texts written down of the disciples that first followed Him. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can we stand together? Thank you.